Welcome to the God's Goodness Podcast, where our mission is to encourage as well as highlight God's goodness and modern-day miracles. We are your hosts, Josh and Shelley Hankins. Tonight, we have with us a special guest from church. His name is Joey Swidrack, and he's going to lead us in a little prayer. And uh, well, let's just start off there. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for this opportunity tonight, this time right here, right now. Just the three of us and Bud gathered together. They have a conversation and let people know your goodness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead me and us into what you would have us say tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the Holy Spirit asked me to ask you on this episode because my husband, he got to know you a little along the way with doing men things. Oh yeah, a couple of venture fests, some men's breakfasts. Yeah, and he says you have a, lot of hugs. a really cool oh, yeah. story to tell. And it could just share God's goodness just by you telling what God turns messes into messages. So let's hear about your mess through this message. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder where to begin. I know nothing about you. Like, like I know a little bit about you. So I was raised, I guess I could go there, in a... Pentecostal family. Back then, I think, as I look back, like a little bit of like law-ish Pentecostal family. We did go to an assembly of God where our pastor was on literal fire during his sermons, like Pastor Pete times 10. <laughs> I was raised around God and around, you know, knowing the Lord. I do remember when I was 12, riding home from buying speakers with my dad in the van and saying the prayer with him, accepting Jesus into my heart. And then from then, I don't remember anything until, like, I now have just had sex. I've started drinking and smoking. And I think that's about a year later. <laughs> so all that around the time I was 13, 14. And then I just continued to really go my own way, knowing that God was there occasionally talking to him. I was kicked out of uh, youth group for smoking. <laughs> was it all, smoking? Yeah, cigarettes. cigarettes. Yeah, that they knew about. So yeah, like all that really just continued on and on. But I was never like a, a bad kid or a bad person. Moms and dads liked me. <laughs> but so, it sounds like you had a hole that you were trying to fill, like a lot of us do. Like there was something missing. Yeah, but I don't think I ever thought of it like that. Mm -hmm. I think I was just doing what, you know, well, my friend and I were smoking together. We'd go hiking, we'd go camping, we'd build bonfires and we'd hang out. And he was four years older than I was. So we were drinking beer and doing whatever. Gave into the yeah, flesh. Definitely. And um, then I got into the restaurant and bar business. Actually, Wendy's at like 14, 15, 15, 16. And then as soon as I could wait tables and all that, yeah, I was working in these places that had a lot of alcohol and everybody was drinking and I was able to drink because nobody asked me who my age or anything. Yeah, I had lots of experiences and I wouldn't trade any of it because, I mean, I lived in, so I'm from Cleveland, go Browns. <laughs> that was for you. That was for you. First like 18, 19, 20, working downtown in all those bars and restaurants. And then I moved to Miami for a year, almost a year, which I worked for another restaurant down there. And we had a cocaine dealer that sat on our stoop. So whatever we wanted, like, was what we 
we, all we had to do was walk out our front door. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty much every yeah. libation was open to yeah. you. And all of our friends were, you know, the higher ups and all the restaurants down there. So we got in every door for free or every back door for free. Then came back for to Cleveland for a few years. And um, now I know God had his hand in this, but even though I wasn't with him or following him, my cousin and I, we've always done these things together. Usually my cousin's big idea, and I'm like, okay, let's do it, right? <laughs> Miami was one. We did a road trip across the country and back for a month. That was his idea, but we had a great time together. So growing up, he's absolutely my best friend. Josh is his name. I pray that one day he does listen to this, like I do pray for him almost every day. So after that, yeah, a couple years two years back in Cleveland, and um, I was sitting on my couch. I love this story. Sitting on my couch, actually at my mom's house, visiting my mom, and I was watching the Cleveland Indians game, <laughs> hanging out with mom, and um, the phone rang. And uh, I think this was before cell phones or maybe flip phones or something, I don't know. But So I went and answered it, and it was my cousin. And I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, hey, I'm in Chicago. He's like, you need to move here. I was like, oh, okay, let me think about it. You know, I was like, give me a week or two, and I'll think about it. Of course, immediately, I'm like, I think I should be going to Chicago. <laughs> like, I would have probably already made up my mind as soon as I hung up the phone. But the following Sunday, same thing. I was at my mom's, and I went to pick up the phone to call him, and there was no dial tone. And I said, hello, and it was him. And I said, shut up. <laughs> I said, I'll be there in two weeks. Now, I literally like just went back to work for two weeks, made like 500 bucks, and moved to Chicago. Packed up my car, and yeah, that was a great experience. Every single person I met there was just awesome people. Like It was definitely... God's hand on it, but he wasn't very in it, I should say, because that was, again, restaurants, bars, nightclubs. My roommates were all musicians, all stuff like that. So I was there for, I think, almost 13 years. I would have stayed, but I was like, I don't want to be in the restaurant business anymore. I got out of bars and restaurants. I went to work for Hot Belly Sandwich Works. So yeah, I worked for them for five years and I was rapidly growing with them. I was opening new stores. I was working at corporate office store where they do all the testing and all that. And where I bounced around, it seemed like I would be sent to stores to help fix small problems, get help get them on track or back on track, stuff like that. And at that point, I was, after five years of that, it was like, 60 hour work weeks and you're not making the money as a bartender <laughs> so and there's a lot of other restaurants and bars in, in between all that 13 years in chicago but they offered me a position and it would have been like it biggest craziest store they had so but i know that people go there they either die or they go on to really succeed like but i had cake man like <laughs> where i was I had good staff. My bosses were like the corporate bosses. Like I would see corporate every single day. I'd see the owner, like they knew my name. I, So I would have gone somewhere regardless if I would have chosen that or not. 
So they offered me to go to this store and my next step would have been like having my own store. And this is 30s now. So yeah, we skipped a lot. <laughs> right. But it's still the same Joe. It's the same partying every night, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, my body obviously will get to that. Didn't like me after a while. So when I turned them down, it was actually my dad had just passed. And I did not want to take that responsibility. And I did not want to live that life at that store because it was twice as much as what I was already doing. So I wanted out. So again, my cousin at this point has now left Chicago <laughs> with his soon to be or with his new wife and moved to Mexico. I uh, had been down there once with them. They went to a little town in Mexico, Sayalita. Hey, Sayalita. <laughs> so I was like, well, there's really not much, you know, going on. I relationship that I had before that did not work out. So I was like, hey, let's get out of Chicago. Let's go. So me and my dog packed up and said, we're going to Chicago Well, or down to Mexico. Wasn't that easy. <laughs> Left Chicago, back to Cleveland for six months to work with my cousin, land floor, blah, blah, blah. Ended up, by the time I was done with that, we'd spent most of the money partying, going on the road with my cousin and all his guys working in different towns. So when I left, I left with enough money. And uh, got down to Mexico, was down there for a beautiful place, awesome. My dog ended up at Bud, or Bert. That's Bert. <laughs> ended up coming down a few weeks after I did. And uh, yeah, we hung out on the beach. I was working for an Italian restaurant in Mexico, which was weird, but cool. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. I went to a Chinese restaurant in Germany. It was the best Chinese I've ever had. Best pizza down there. And like, not that place, but pizza places we would go. Yeah. But yeah, you're on the beach every day. It was great. And it was nothing but fun in the sun. Lots of tequila. And yeah. So uh, after two years of that, I was like, this is probably not a place that I can stay because I will probably end up drinking myself to death. I'm sure I said that to myself. <laughs> but didn't want to admit that, so went back to Cleveland. 10 years, about 34 to 44, back in Cleveland. That was like 2010. Again, all my friends there, that's, they're all younger than I am, all still not knowing what they're doing in life, and <laughs> partying, that's what we did. Well, I know at this point, like, mom didn't want me around, my sisters, they would hang out, but didn't want me like living around them or things like that. So I need to be honest about it because I don't know how honest I've really been with myself. I think there was a point where like nobody wanted me around. Like, did your sisters have families at that point? Yeah. Like I, for a couple months, my one sister, I stayed in their basement just because I think I was coming back at that point and really had nowhere else to stay. And then I think mom's basement for a while. And then Mom moved out with her, who's still boyfriend, of 15 years. They moved down to his house, so I had her condo for a while. Then, oh, yeah, Cousin Josh decided, oh, unfortunately got a divorce and um, decided to move back to Chicago. So he was like, hey, I'm in Chicago again. You should come. And I have a feeling like 
somebody said I wasn't doing well. And like, it was like, Hey, come to Chicago. Like maybe I can help. Right. Like, and I know like I wasn't making a ton of money. I think at this point I was now delivering pizzas for a big pizza company and not doing the work that I had been doing in the restaurant business management and like, you know, like the stuff I should have been doing. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I, I do remember for a few years, like, Lord, just give me the next step. Show me the next step. Like, how do I get out of this? But I just could never decide like what else or not just decide, but I had nothing else. Like what else could I do? I wasn't taught to do anything else. I here and there, I did some painting job in Mexico. I did start a painting company to work in the summers when I wasn't doing the restaurants. But that was heavy duty work in the summer heat. And yeah, I wish I would have had pictures of all that. Cause I feel like, what were you doing? <laughs> Again, flip phones, no good cell phones for pictures. Yeah. So I went back to Chicago for about six months and I went to work at a restaurant to help them out. They were really great concept. And I, I don't know if they're still there or if they've opened other stores, but it was called taco in a bag, legit, like taco shells in a bag and whatever you, they had just dumped in there and you ate it with a fork. It was great, but they were open till like four in the morning. So like I would go to work, come home, take care of the dogs. My cousin was actually working on the road. So he was only home on weekends. The place we were living in, he was trying to sell. So it had to be perfectly spotless with two dogs in there, especially when people were coming. And I couldn't be there when people were coming to look at it. So all I did was drink and go to work and take care of the dogs. When the dogs needed to go out, we'd go for big walks. I mean, still did the things I needed to do. But after that, I was like, all right. This isn't working out. My cousin's like, I've sold the place. I'm moving to Indiana. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> so back to Cleveland. This is number four, number three. So yeah, that is the point where definitely nobody family-wise wanted me to live with them. That and must have been rough, you know, knowing that they loved you, but at the same time, yeah, feeling that the activities you were doing were detrimental to the family. But I don't think I realized it at that point now though but uh, yeah now like uh, yeah because i know the the strain like my sister my younger sister and i i'll get there anyways so <laughs> okay so the years are like kind of squeezing together when i get a little lost here and there's reason why that and i'll say that in a little bit but i end up coming back on the way back i'm like who am i gonna go live with so I call up my cousin. Hey, me and my dog are coming back. And my dog at the time is a crazy white lab who sheds like a snowstorm you're following, right? So there's two guys living in a house. And um, my cousin and our friend, Jordan. What's up, guys? They probably will listen to this. And they probably have more be like better stories about this than I do. But I'll get through that quick. So yeah, like I went and I was there. So there was two, maybe three of us even at that point in a two bedroom house. I decided the back porch room was going to be my bedroom and that's, and it was a great little spot, but, and I went and lived with them. And again, we're all still partying. So we're just working and partying, working and partying. And with them, 
I started gaining weight like crazy. I started not really caring about too much. I think I was a little upset, depressed about Chicago. and But all of a sudden, like, I look in the mirror, like, and I'm like, what? That's not me. Like, you know, I'm talking to somebody and I'm leaning the countertop because I don't have energy to stand there. I start conversations just like this, and I'm out cold in the middle of a sentence. Oh, my. One time I had pulled up to a stoplight and fell asleep, bumped a guy in front of us. Yeah, was going to get away with it, except for we pulled off the road <laughs> into a fire department. And uh, just so happened a police officer pulled in <laughs> and uh, didn't get in trouble. I think I got a ticket for that. Gas pumps. Started falling asleep, getting back into my car after pumping gas and just falling asleep. Mm -hmm. So turns out it's not just really tired. It's sleep apnea, which I've had for years because I've had girlfriends wake me up in the middle of the night saying, you've stopped breathing. So, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know what it was forever. So yeah, that kind of got pretty serious. And then, um, you know, conversations with my mom. She's like, why don't you go to the hospital? Why don't you go to the hospital? Why don't you go to the hospital? Well, I started seeing a doctor and he kept saying, you got to quit drinking. You got to quit smoking, you know, and then here, here, this will help you sleep. Right. <laughs> and after probably the, that was the, maybe the first year I went in to see the doctor, my cousin wife. So my cousin worked there and they had a little baby and it was her first day back. And I, ran into them and I'm like, oh, little baby, I, you know, meeting my second cousin, I guess. And I stuck my head like inside of her little carriage and she took a picture of the two of us. And my head was so big, like, I'm like, something is wrong here. So I go, again, conversation with mom. She's like, go to the ER, something's not right. And I, I went and, um, I went in and uh, signed in and all that stuff. They said, have a seat. I woke up 12 hours later. Nobody had come checked on me. Nobody had seen me. I'm like, (laughs) at that point, I'm like, I got to go have a cigarette. So I go outside, have a cigarette, come back in. And I'm like, you know, I've been here for a really long time. And I think you forgot about me. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, blah, blah. So a few minutes later, and at this point, I'm just angry. They come and they take me into the back and they said well we're gonna have to do this and you're gonna be here for a while and blah 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 and at this point i'm angry and i just i want to leave i want to drink and i want another cigarette and that's not happening so a little while later they're like blah 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 and i'm like i'm leaving and they're like if you leave this is going to happen and you know you'll have to go through this and that and i'm like i don't care i'm just i'm not even signing out i just left i don't know how i got back home but i did And then I think two weeks went by and mom again, I'm like, mom, take me back. Just drop me off. So I walked in, had my last cigarette outside and I went in and I sat down and told the lady my name. I remember saying my last name and woke up three days later in ICU. Oh, wow. Right. So my sister's beautiful. My sister, Julie, she's my older sister. I have a younger sister, Amy. She was Unless it was a dream, like she was sitting right there in my face as I opened my eyes. And uh, I did, I asked her, uh, I think yesterday, like, is there anything about the hospital, like, that you want to tell me about? Like, 
anything that I maybe don't remember. And all she could say was, I wish I would have found out who the nurse was because she did something. I think she gave me something after my sister asked. Like, this was at a point. So I woke up three days later. But during those three days, what I was told was it was like time, like tell your family to come say goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, and I didn't know this for a little while after, like, so thank you, nurse from the hospital. If you ever hear this, <laughs> you had a lot of tattoos and I can't remember what my sister said about your hair. I want to say it was fentanyl, like they gave me or something like that, that like kept me alive for another day. And so then I woke up on my own to my sister's face and um, from ICU, they put me in a smaller room. When they moved me out of ICU, my cousin was there. My cousin came from Mexico to say goodbye to his best friend. And uh, like, I'm so fat, I'm 364 pounds. And this is- Yeah, not now. 80, no, no, yeah, not now. <laughs> Probably, I think it was like 70% water gain. I had, so I'll run through the list that I remember, edema. I believe it's called, which swelling. is swelling. My legs were, before the hospital, I had gotten them wrapped because they were all down my chin. They were so swollen that they had developed scabs and bleeding. Splitting um, open. So sleep apnea, I had congestive heart failure, mm -hmm. COPD. And one of the big reasons why I was falling asleep was often my oxygen level would drop. When I, the reason why I passed out in the hospital after telling her at the emergency room after telling her my name was my oxygen level dropped to about 10. Wow. So I think 92 to 98 is about right. They like 95 and above. Okay. But if you're 92, I wouldn't so, worry about it. Once you get below that, then <laughs> you start having organ failure yeah. and bad things so, happen. I'm pretty sure something had to be wrong with my liver. <laughs> But I don't remember them specifically saying, like, you need a liver transplant or anything like that. So, yeah, I had some interesting roommates as I was in the hospital for six weeks and would have been in there longer. But my insurance ran out But while that was going on. So when I woke up at the hospital, like, obviously, it took a day or two to even think about it. First thing I wanted was a cigarette. So dummy me was like, I'm not going to be able to get a cigarette. Somebody get me a patch or something. Oh, I mean, dude, you're out for three days. Just quit, right? That's what I'm thinking today. <laughs> yeah, eventually I got my cigarette, and during my six-week stay, I'd take my little oxygen tank outside and bump a cigarette from somebody. But I had no desire for alcohol. Absolutely none. Even when I thought about it, I didn't crave it. I didn't want it. I, w I knew, like, that point, thank you, Lord, for waking me up. Hmm. Thank you. Every little bit, I still wanted to smoke some weed, you know, because I was uncomfortable. And I remember, like, weed will make me comfortable. <laughs> but I didn't for the six weeks that I was in there. Ended up, like, after. So I'll get to that. Some interesting roommates, some mean nurses. <laughs> they probably weren't as mean as I made them out to be. So thank you all. Just going through all that and not wanting to be there. Like, I'm sure I was not very nice. Though I knew, like, the only way I'm alive right now is because of the Lord, because of God. There's only one way, right? So 
there was stipulations for me to be able to leave. Like I had to lose a certain amount of weight. Like I was on oxygen and they said oxygen the rest of your life. Yeah. I don't see any in your house. No. Uh, well, you're breathing it. So <laughs> I'm at like tanks, tanks, concentrators. It's since the day I left the hospital, I have not been on it. I did continue to do like treatments for, I think another couple months and I got bored with it. And, and do you take any treatments now? No. Um, Which is pretty phenomenal. I don't know if yeah, you know anything about yeah. COPD. Yeah, well, yeah. That's that's pretty phenomenal. Um, I do have a inhaler that's like a rescue, and every once in a while I'll take it, and it's usually more like a hot day or something like that. Like, and I, well, COVID wasn't. I wasn't dying, but didn't help with the lungs. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so six weeks, and um, after the six weeks, I went to the second, I say, most dangerous homeless shelter. This is when I knew nobody wanted me. We're, we're still in Cleveland? We're still in Cleveland. And the hospital was in Cleveland, all that stuff. So insurance ran out. They said, you have to leave. And it had been brought up to me by my aunt, by Janice, my Aunt Nancy. Janice is a wonderful woman who's been a part of our family as long as I can remember. We call her Aunt Janice because she's that close to us. I love you guys and thank you because I know you'll definitely hear this. And my mom, they would visit all the time. They started telling me like, you're gonna have to go to some kind of place because you're not living with us. And my sisters were like, you're not living with us. And I'm like, there's no way, I'm not going there. I'm not going there, I'm not going there, you know? So <laughs> finally I had lost, I think maybe 40 pounds of the water weight and uh, I could walk like a quarter mile without oxygen. That's tremendous. Yeah. So that was the stipulations of getting out of there. So I think I went and stayed with mom for like two days before I had to go to my new permanent re residence at this homeless shelter. I and mean, it is a city mission. I think they're affiliated with the city mission here. Not sure. I should know. I do go to the thrift store here. So <laughs> there's my kickback to them. Uh <laughs> Because I go often. <laughs> We're talking, I think I was, so this is now on the east side of Cleveland. East side of Cleveland is known for, well, it depends on what part, but east side of city proper Cleveland is inner city, lots of, you know, gangs, drugs, all that stuff. I am not the same color as everybody else. And I was told that. <laughs> so there was maybe four white guys. The rest were black. All of them either coming off a of crack, coming off a of heroin, coming out of prison, everything from rapists to murderers to somehow they're not in prison and they're now in this place. My aunt, I can't remember how she knew the guy who's like the director of this place. So I shouldn't have been allowed in. Like other places, it was like around getting too close to the holidays. So they're already full. Like this was like my last place to go. Otherwise I'd have been on the streets. And they, I never talked to the guy. He just told my aunt, tell him to show up, we'll take him. And nobody said, hey, you need to be sober. Nobody said you need this. And I, like the night before, was like, uh, I'm, out of the, I'm out of the hospital. I'm at mom's. Let's smoke some weed. <laughs> so I go there the next day, get dropped off, and I'm like, I'll see you later. I guess this is what's happening. And the first thing they do is give you a drug test. Well, you go in, like, it's bulletproof window, bulletproof door, you they come and let you in to a room full of 
guys. The other side, I mean, all the guys that are staying there are in this room. So they get to like check out the new guy walking in. Well, they take you through it to the bathroom so you can immediately pee, you know, and there's your drug test. Well, I'm like, nobody told me this. Uh, failed it. And they wanted to be like, kick me out. Like right then and there, like five minutes later, they're like, you just failed for, you know, failed your drug test. You can't stay here. We don't allow people to come in here. I'm like, well, so-and-so. And luckily, well, obviously not luck, but God. But God. Right there was like, you know somebody's name, like say the name. And they're like, well, how do you know him? I'm like, my aunt knows him. <laughs> aunt Janice. So they let me stay. So I was there. I I don't even remember how long, but I'm a likable person. I'm friendly. So I made a few friends. I agree. Um, totally. My life wasn't being threatened. There was one one who did not like me, and he let it know, be known a couple of times. So I stood up, you know. So I think standing up to, like, one of the biggest guys in the room, like, <laughs> other people are like, all right, cool, leave him alone. So, but that was nothing but, like, well, I, not nothing, but they, it was a, it's a Christian organization. So every morning you have some kind of service, the word of God, some worship and, and you, you know, you go and eat, then you go take a class and then lunchtime and then service on and on the day, you know, dinner and service at night. So every day was like that, but it was all classes geared toward like not alcoholics, <laughs> Still, no desire for any of that. And at that point, like, I didn't want to smoke weed anymore. I didn't, but everybody smoked cigarettes. So it was, and like, I'm not on oxygen. I do not have an oxygen. I think I showed up with an oxygen tank and um, they gave me um, a CPAP. Yeah. Actually, a BiPAP because I couldn't do the CPAP. That was the worst experience ever. If you ever did a test, shave your head first. <laughs> Shave your head first because they glue that stuff to your head to check your body, and that was not fun. So, yeah, I've survived that, and I actually spent Thanksgiving dinner that year with all the homeless guys at a big homeless church dinner, and then went and spent the day with the homeless downtown, and then went and got to another, went to another homeless shelter to get to know a bunch of people. So, like, I was legit homeless and becoming a homeless guy staying at a shelter and after a while so they do offer like a way out for people but these are people who don't have like any life experience as far as jobs go things like that like i felt like i don't need to do that i don't need your 12 month class to get out of here and go get a job i'm overqualified yeah because you know how to wait tables and serve drinks right i, <laughs> I could have done that or go back to managing all that which that's coming yeah it got to a point where i'm like well every day like somebody's name gets called and you're so you there's like step ups like at this point you're sleeping every night in a room with a hundred other guys a fold out couch cot like an army cot that you put away every night and set up every night super comfortable you're lucky if you get a blanket <laughs> you're lucky you know like you're sleeping on your clothes and and all that and um you do laundry once a week which half your stuff gets taken <laughs> that was fun I, it was like a couple weeks into it and i'm like why is my name not getting called why am i i know so and so like 
I'm friends with all the guys who have moved out of here. Like, and I thought about it. I was like, well, I don't want to do that. Do I go and say anything to anybody or do I just sit here until I can figure a way out of here? And pretty much it came to that point where like. They forgot about you just like the yeah. hospital. <laughs> so, and all of a sudden one day is like, I, I think I actually went and said, all right, well, I, I got to get out of here. Let me at least take a class or can I get out and get a job or part-time something or other. And so I'm still like, there's no exercise. There's nothing like that. But I am loving the services. I'm loving the worship nights. There are days where I'm spending right after service and I don't care who's walking by me on the, the cement steps on my knees after praying and thanking God like for bringing me out of there but now get me out of here, <laughs> right? So right before Christmas, like they weren't gonna let me out for Christmas because I wasn't at that point with them. I'm like, wait, I've been here for this long. You're not gonna let me out. I'll return tomorrow. I've got nowhere else to go. And I did say something to somebody They and they're like, well, we're kicking you out because your 30 days or whatever, 60 days is up. Like, I'm like, well, nobody came and talked to me about doing the work program thinking, okay, get me another week in here so i because i haven't figured it out yet <laughs> and they said okay well then i was like started taking like a class with a bunch of rehabilitating drug people and i'm like this isn't me i don't need this i don't need to be here and of course i did but not in the same sense as they did like heroin addicts like yeah that's i need like somebody to talk to me about alcohol if i needed anything but at this point, I still am not, I have no desire. And to this day, it doesn't matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, what I'm around. I don't have the desire for it. I don't have that gut feeling like I need a drink. I need, so, praise God. And this is six years later. So I was like, all right, I'm out of here. I like somehow tired of trading smokes. I'm <laughs> scratching off lottery tickets. I got to get out of here. <laughs> but the way God provides, even to have my cigarettes or a dollar for a scratch off every single day that I was in there and nobody giving me money. Like I'm not earning money every day. How is this happening? Right? $15 can go a long way. So call mom. I'm like, mom, I got to get out of here. Like these people are like, they should all be in prison. <laughs> I've seen some good stuff happen with a lot of guys in there and God coming through for a lot of guys in there. So I know it was a good place and I know the work that they do is great. And um, I did keep in touch for a little while with, with a few guys, but they I just disappeared. But so I get to go to mom's house. So mom's like, yeah, okay, fine. Live in the basement. <laughs> so the basement's been lived in by me, my sisters. like So it's like, it's pretty comfortable down there. So I set it up and uh, bed down there and that kind of stuff. And so I'm getting healthy. Like, and my mom and I feel like they kind of needed me, like I needed them for the time being. Like I was over there, I was cooking for them every single day. And across the street was a gym, Planet Fitness. So I joined Planet Fitness and went and uh, every day I'd go to Planet Fitness, whether I was just getting on the treadmill. By this time, 60 pounds gone. So working at it, working at it. I don't remember the weight that I got to by the time I left mom's after six months, but it was definitely under 300. So I start looking for a job as I'm feeling like I'm healthy enough to do this. What am I going to do? Like, all I can look for is restaurant 
stuff because that's all I know. So I end up, like, I think it was in a newspaper, which is really weird because at this point, I mean, we're, this is only six years ago. So you think you'd be online or whatever. And there was an ad for, um, like, a camp host type person, like this little place. I hope it's still, it is still there. I hope it's the same owners. I'm not really sure, but Firefly Beach Resort on Lake Erie. This awesome little place, loud campers, had these little cabins, a couple acres, like right on the lake, and they had a bar restaurant. And I told them, like, part of my story, like, I do not want to work in your bar, but I will come and take care of people because I do that well. I can cut grass, all that stuff. So after a few interviews and in the wintertime, this was still in the winter, so right after Christmas, I got the job. So I'm all excited, and I got like a month to go. I, I get nice and healthy, be able to do all this stuff, and I move out to this place. I buy a camper, <laughs> like a... Mary, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> My friend Mary threw me like fifteen or seventeen hundred bucks to buy this broken up camper that uh, basically got dropped off by the guy who <laughs> owned it that just towed it there. And I fixed it up. It made it really nice and made the outside of it really nice. And for the next year, I was living in this camper on the lake and doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. So I'm like, all right. I'm like, God showed me like I can do something else. And then about a month into it, the guy that they hired to reopen this bar restaurant is a flake. And I'm sorry, Eric, if you ever hear this, I hope to God you're sober now. And I hope that you found Jesus because <laughs> you are terrible. <laughs> so he can't handle the whole thing. So they asked me if I'd run the bar, run the bar. I'm like, sure, I need to make money because you're not paying me enough money. Ended up being a fantastic summer. I'm behind the bar the whole time. I'm helping in the kitchen. I'm like, basically the place just becomes mine, which is kind of how, you know, been before my atmosphere, my bar. Did any temptations come while you were doing that? No, no. What was it, not crazy, but I see it now. Like I know it was God. Cause I had no desire, but I did have an opportunity to tell some of this testimony to people sitting at the bar in that area. It's all like summertime community. So people are there either every day or they're in for the weekends with their kids. So like I got to meet and become friends with all these people. Uh, I don't really talk to anybody anymore cause I'm here. Can't believe I'm here. Uh, <laughs> last place on earth. Steeler country. Last place on earth. But God, Definitely has a plan. So, yeah, I was running this place. Tiki bar kind of atmosphere. So a lot of fruity mixed drinks, some lots that I never I'd made before. So I actually would be like, taste with the straw. Does this taste like it's supposed to? Or, you know, like, does this taste good? You know, making stuff up didn't bother me. Never, you know, like, oh, I'm getting a buzz. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, whatever stocking beer one time and we had only cans at at one point can dropped and hit something in the cooler and exploded <laughs> shot into my mouth so that was like yeah that was the only alcohol and uh then one time my sister gave me some uh cold medicine and forgot that it was and i was like what was in that because my whole face just lit up on fire like <laughs> 
Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. That's the one with the alcohol in it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's been four years, I think, now since I smoked pot once around the fire with. I won't bust you, but with people I love. <laughs> we don't and... judge, but we understand others that might listen might. <laughs> now, they don't, whatever, today and everybody's smoking weed in this world. Nobody cares. Well, um, when it helps people with their pain. and It does. And, and CBD is amazing. And I knew that a long time ago. And yeah, I mean, with cancers from, you know, all kinds of different things. And I think it's, it's you know, it's a plant God gave us at some point. Man just turned it into something it wasn't supposed to be. So, yeah, it just freaked me out. Like, I was sitting there, my the people I was with put on love to do their little live streams on Facebook. So, hey, everybody, we're sitting by the fire. <laughs> I was like, turn that thing off. I was super paranoid. I was like, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> I don't need it anymore. And I don't think that I've tried since then. So, through it all, yeah. And then Pittsburgh. Cousin Josh. <laughs> Perfect timing. It's now right before New Year's, so right around Christmas. He's like, hey, uh, I've been talking to Uncle Larry. You want to go check out his roofing business in uh, Pittsburgh? I'm like, well, I'm like, the way out, right? It's not the bar business, and it's winter now in a place that only survives in the summer. So, yeah, let's go check out. Uh, I have been in Pittsburgh now, I think, five years this January, and as soon as I got here, I found a church, and I did at the, you know, after the homeless shelter, find church, and really start to look at, towards the Lord, and um, the difference between me then and now is only because of Him, and completely set free. I do not have COPD. I do not, am not affected by congestive heart failure. My heart perfectly praise jesus still no problems with the liver <laughs> blows away i do not have a problem sleeping i do not snore anymore i do not wake up in the middle of night gasping for air so i say i'm healed from all of that sleep apnea all of that that's great completely healed of course you know i owe it all to him absolutely all to him do you ever wonder like maybe god is giving you the noah treatment like, it seemed like he forgot about you, but then he remembered. <laughs> like, I, I, a little bit, like, I think about that, like, why? Well, what I want to know is why. Like, I, and I remind me, I don't want to know, but I know that's what has built my faith and why I can wake up every day and know that God has something better for me is because why did you bring me through all of that? Let me do all that for myself and and almost lose my family, almost lose, you know, everything and be on the streets and not know it. And then here I am today sitting here and I'm a big part of my church. I'm a leader for middle school kids. I am part of our men's ministry. I'm a, you know, was a greeter. It all started with greeting. Everybody become a greeter, especially if you're new at a church. It's a great way to meet people. Um, I wasn't going to do any of that. I got, I got suckered <laughs> into got children. Suckered, suckered into kids ministry. Uh, and you love it. You know it. So like the Lord has absolutely blessed me and working for four years with Uncle Larry, he taught me enough to go out on my own. I've just started my second year with a 
roofing, siding, gutters, uh, soffit, fascia, all the exterior home improvement, painting company. It's not where I want it to be, but he keeps showing up through it all. Every time I want to say, why am I doing this? He says, here. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's an old phrase, that one often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it? I think you could replace destiny with God. And one often meets God on the road he takes to avoid him. God is our destiny. And so when you were at these moments and you're wondering, you know, why did I go through this or why? It's because you were avoiding him and he still met you on that path. Absolutely. I think it's wonderful that he created us for relationship and that he wanted you so much that he refused <laughs> to let you ruin it for him. Right. <laughs> and he's still refusing. Yeah, for all Absolutely. Of us, it's, it's almost like when you gave your heart to him when you were, was it 14? 12. 12, that he took it seriously, even though you couldn't honor it then. Right. And he held you to that right. standard the entire time and brought you back to him. What do they say? If you're in his hands, nothing can take you out of it. Pretty awesome. It is. It is pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Joey, I want to thank you so much for being on our show tonight. I really appreciate you. I love you. It was an instant connection when I met you. Absolutely. You're just that person. Even though you talk so much. Oh, my goodness. I said so much, not too much. <laughs> yeah, you guys are all in for a treat for the rest of these podcasts. Well, we're in for a treat for the rest of our lives, now that we know you. Right. Oh, me too. I am blessed <laughs> to know you both. Absolutely. And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you and thank God for this opportunity. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. And I appreciate you taking the time to have us over and recording with us and sharing this testimony from that mess into a message. Amen. So, wonderful. And if this episode has blessed you in any way whatsoever, and you just feel reminded of somebody comes to your mind, if you could share it with them, that would be a blessing. You know, God works through all of us in little ways. You know, you don't have to do a whole podcast or a sermon to help somebody, but just you thought of them. Here's a podcast. You might like it. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful. And we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.